Hey, you're listening to the Upper Room Podcast. To learn more about Upper Room, please visit URDallas.com. I've been stuck on this thought that there is only one person, only one person that could ever set me free or heal me with a touch or a word or deliver me from darkness or make me whole or fix my broken heart. Just one. There's just one man in all of eternity. You know, and there's this moment in Revelation 5 where where the angel stands up and he's the the father's holding a scroll and the angel stands up and proclaims in a loud voice, who is worthy? And I just always picture it like there's this moment in heaven where it's like there's this utter despair. There's this like, I know heaven's not in despair. You know, don't get on my case about my theology, but there's just this moment of silence where it's like, And then the elder looks to John because John starts weeping because he can feel that despair. And he says, stop weeping because behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's conquered and he's worthy. And I just feel this sobriety that when we come into this place and we're worshiping like, like these, I mean, Julian, look, Julian's biceps, like they're so cool, you know, it's like... We're so cool, but it doesn't matter a flip because there's only one Jesus. And (laughs) I love you. I'm sorry. There's only one Jesus. And on that day when we stand before him, there will not be a room there. There will not be me there for you. Michael won't be there. Julian's biceps won't be there for you. It's just Jesus. And whatever you have cultivated and known and followed and and built a history with, that's what will matter on that day. And I'm not talking about getting into heaven, but I'm talking about the most important moment. I just felt on my heart, Paula, is it okay if I just embarrass you for a minute? Can you stand up? Everyone say, hi, Paula. <laughs> she uh, just stopped me before and let me know that she's being sent out as a missionary to Mexico this week. Um, you can sit down. But I, I have watched, when she showed up, how long ago did you show up at Upper Room? Four years ago. She was in a really hard place, like life. She was going through some really hard things when she showed up. And when I was just talking to her before, I was just undone. She said, she said, I have experienced that reality, that his presence, not the presence of upper room, not the presence of anything except Jesus, tra- has transformed her life. And she's, she's so funny because we're standing there. She goes, I have experienced that, and so now I'm doing that. She's going out 
from this place because of what Jesus has done. And I've watched with my own eyes this transformation happen in her life. And it's been amazing. And I just want to encourage you, if you're new to this house, if you want to get plugged in, if you're wondering what this is all about, this is all about Jesus, all about getting to know Jesus, all about ministering to him, and all about letting him transform your life. Literally, she's not the same person. And if you will give yourself over to what God's doing, she did the residency, she's in the prayer room, she's gone through different trainings that we've had. If you will give yourself over to that, watch what Jesus will do. Like, you won't recognize yourself in the best way. In the best way. I want to talk to you about obedience favorite topic. Um, so I've got three points, and I'm going to hit them over and over again. The first one is we want to be pleasing to Jesus. Amen? Amen. We are not a people who are going to incorporate Jesus into our lives. Jesus is our life. And you can't be half in that. If you're half in, you're miserable. You're miserable. You were created to be all in. We want to be pleasing to Jesus. We do that by obeying him. Now I feel some theological sparks going off, but just hang on. And it's in obedience that we find rest. Michael talked about Sabbath rest last week, and it was so good. There was a lot of practical things about actually taking a 24-hour period to rest. It's a commandment. Um... And if you don't obey it, we're going to put you to death. Just kidding. But it was taken that seriously in the Old Testament. And so I have to think that it's important today. But I wanted to talk to you about rest inside your soul. And I think obedience is a key part of that. I know that it is. So I want to tell you about a dream that I had a few months ago. This is what sparked this word that I'm going to be sharing with you tonight. In my dream, I was a bride. I was getting married, and I was in a bridal shop, and I was, they were bringing me gowns to try on. And they kept bringing me these not bridal-looking gowns. Like, I remember one was like olive green with sequins on it, and it had a slit up the side. And then another one was, there were like these very, like, risque, fancy dresses and they kept bringing them to me, and finally I stopped the guy bringing, bringing me the dresses, and I said, hey, I, I'm not trying to be sexy. I was like, I don't know what, like, I'm a bride. I want to be beautiful. Josh said he didn't listen to my sermon this morning. He's talking about the wedding day, so I'm like, are you sure you didn't hear that? But anyway, he's, the Lord's put us on page. But so... I stopped the guy and said, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be sexy. I want to be beautiful, right? If you've been a bride, you know, like, you're not, you're, you're not, it's not prom. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Thank you, Jesus. When you're a bride, you want to be beautiful, You're not trying to attract all the men that are going to come to your wedding. Like, that's not the goal. 
You're not trying. You have one man in mind. If you're marrying for the right reasons. You have one man in mind, and you're thinking about what does he find attractive? And I want to be the most beautiful me in that moment. And I don't want to look scandalous. I want to look pure. I want to be beautiful. I want to be holy. Because whatever is under that dress, he, that's, I'm committing that to him forever. And the whole world doesn't need to see it. It's for him. And so I woke up, and I knew that, you know, I'm not, it wasn't a prophetic dream that I'm getting married again. Um, but I did know that it was about his bride. And I, I felt the Lord speak to me that, that we as his bride are, at large, sometimes we're, we're dressing up so the world will find us attractive. We want to be cool and we want to be relevant. We want the outside, it's with good motive, we want the outside world to go, wow, that's pretty, wow, that's cool, I want to be a part of that. And we find ways to like water it down or angle it so it's cool and appealing. (laughs) And it doesn't work, number one. Number two, we're missing the whole point. I'm just so over being cool. (laughs) I don't know when I got over it, but I'm real over it. But I want him to be captivated by me. I want us to be people and a bride that's concerned with looking beautiful for a bridegroom. And then the unintended effect is that the world will find her irresistible. Because when she dresses herself for him, the radiance of his love reflecting off of her is just, it's captivating. Remember when Prince Harry and Meghan Markle married? How many of you watched that? Come on, ladies. It was actually during our global conference. Because I remember I was, like, I was babysitting a friend's kid that day, like in between services, and the girls were all glued to the TV. Like, are they going to kiss? Are they going to kiss? They were just like this. But, but you're watching it, and you just want to know, like, are they really in like, are they real? Like, is this a real love story that we're watching unfold? Is this just a, like, a political thing? Or are they just, are they like, and we all, like, we, we're examining the way he looks at her. And what are they whispering to each other when, they, when like, when she walks up? And, and, like, what is that? We all want to know, is it real? It looks real. And we're all captivated by it. And I promise you, the world... When the bride is in love with her bridegroom, focused on pleasing him, the world will find it irresistible. 
And what is pleasing to him is so far from what's being relevant or cool. It's so different. But it's what we are made for. It's what we're destined for. And I feel like there's a level of unrest in a lot of hearts and lives because we've got, because we're, we're trying to still make it cool, we're trying to still do it our own way, trying to still, and then yet we're like, oh, but I want to be pleasing to Jesus. And so we, we're in this weird tension that we weren't made for. And it causes anxiety. And it causes frustration. It causes unrest. It causes insecurity in a big way. I'm so tired of that. The fear of man, the insecurity, I just feel the zeal of God wanting to set his bride free from that. Like, do you know how beautiful I think you are? If you knew it, you wouldn't even notice what anyone else thought. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is going to be baptized by John the Baptist. Just a minute, think about this with me. Jesus. If you grew up in church, you should know, why was John baptizing people? For what? For the repentance of sin. Okay. Rewind. Jesus, the Lamb of God, comes to John and says, I need to be baptized by you. Does he have sin? Did Jesus have sin? No. Why did he need to be baptized? Why was it important? Let's look. Let's look at Matthew chapter 3. Start in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John, John knows. He's like, wait, no. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus, the son of God, God made flesh perfect comes to be baptized by one who he's actually going to give his life for. Why? To fulfill all righteousness. Let me put it in a different word. Perfect. He doesn't need to earn anything from the Father. But he comes in submission and obedience. It was important. Why? Look what happens. So then John consents in verse 16, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. 
And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let me ask you, was the Father, was Jesus the beloved Son of the Father before he was baptized? Yes. Did Jesus need to be dunked in that water to be washed from sin so that the Father would be pleased with him? No. But when Jesus comes in this obedient, submissive spirit to the Father, heaven opens. And he hears a declaration from the Father. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. I feel like one of the dangers that we've gotten into in, in, in our, we've been so passionate about preaching grace and how you can't earn God's love. He's done it all. It's true. He's done it all. But there's something about drawing near and with a submissive, obedient spirit that is pleasing to the Father. And I don't want to, I know you don't either, but I, I'm not interested in living a life where I like try to figure out what all I can do on my own that he won't get mad about. I don't want to lay down at the end of the day and tally up, well, I, I was obedient because I didn't do this, 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 and this. I want to live a life where I'm like, how can I please you? What are you saying? I'm so sensitive to that dove. I'm so sensitive to his voice. And I just, we have this mutual delight where he's speaking and I'm obeying because it's a delight to me to be pleasing to him in that way. I just feel this call, like there's this upward call to grow up. To become pleasing to him. It's not by works so that anyone should boast. But there is this place. It's not about getting into heaven. That's been taken care of. But there's this nearness and this rest for your soul that you were made for, this alignment with his voice and his ways that you were made for, that he's calling us into. And here's the thing, like I cannot impart it to you. I cannot give it to you. And you can't give it to me, and no one can take that from you. And when you walk in that way, when you walk in this submissive, sensitive obedience to Jesus, there's this rest that comes on the inside of you. That like, it doesn't come what may. I don't care if I'm ever on a stage or in a spotlight or how many followers I have on Instagram or who notices what, who pays attention, who applauds me or who doesn't because I've found this place where I'm pleasing to him. We want to be pleasing to Jesus. We do that by obeying him. Look at John chapter 14. 
I'm just going to highlight a few things that Jesus himself said. Ready? John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Let's read a little further in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. Listen, when you give a yes, every time you give a yes, it's, no, it's not like a random thought that he talks about the helper. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and whew, I'll send a helper. Meaning, yes, and then here comes this helper to come empower your yes, to come and meet you in all the risk and the, everything that obedience requires of you. Here comes a helper. This sweet intimacy that you can have in that place. You can go do it your own way, but I don't recommend it. Look at verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Jesus said that he defines love for him by obedience to him. He said it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Look at verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Look at verse 31. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. See, Jesus modeled it for us. He did all kinds of things in obedience to the Father. You know, he said, I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what my Father is saying. And so we know that everything he did, he did in this alignment, in this obedience. And he did it. Why? Verse 31, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. And so when you and I walk in obedience to Jesus, the world will look and see, wow, she loves Jesus. Maybe you don't even have to say that. Maybe it'll just be recognized by the life that you're living. Wow. John chapter 15, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So we want to be pleasing to Jesus. We do that by obeying, and it's in obedience that we find rest. Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, I encourage you to go study them, but it talks about entering into the rest of God. And he says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Jesus is always speaking. He's always speaking. And he's always inviting us into doing things, saying things, taking all kinds of risks with him. Verse 
And I want to encourage you. Obey him. Like, if you haven't been, if you've been shutting him out, if you've been afraid, today's a new day. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. This is what you were created for. I feel like there's just measures of anxiety and depression and confusion and frustration that are going to fall off as we line back up with obeying his voice. You don't have to figure a bunch of other stuff out. In fact, you're free to just do that. What are you saying today, Lord? And if you are having trouble hearing him, you're not sure, just go back to this. Like, do some of the simple things. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Like, there's a thing that he's speaking. I'm so excited because I have time for this. Um, I didn't have time this morning for this part, and I'm really excited. I want to talk to you about Saul and David. You see, when Saul became king, it was because the people were demanding a king. There had been a series of judges in Israel, and the last one was Samuel. And the people were fed up with having judges. And Samuel's sons weren't following in his footsteps. They weren't men after God. And so the people of Israel started demanding a king. God did not want to give them a king. He wanted to be their king. You know this story? God wanted to be their king. But they kept pushing and they kept demanding. And Samuel kept bringing their requests before the Lord. And finally the Lord gave in. That's a mystery. Like... The Lord didn't want to, but he gave in to their request. Let's look at that. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 22. So I set that up for you, but look at what happens. In verse 22, it says, And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. So he does. I want you to, we're going to flip over, we're going to skip over and look at Saul's inauguration into being king. This is one of the saddest stories. Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 17. Just follow along with me. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, Set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. So Samuel does that. And look what happens. 
Verse 21, he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Saul's hiding. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Verse 23, then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. This, should, this is supposed to be like a great day, right? In a young man's life. And he's hiding in the baggage. They have to pull him out and go... Here's your king that you've demanded and rejected God by demanding that you have a king. Let's flip over to chapter um, 15. Stay with me here. I'm painting a picture for you. So here's what happens. In a nutshell, Saul gets anointed as king, and Samuel gives him some instructions. And he says, you're going to go to, you're going to do all these things, and then you're going to go to Gilgal, and you're going to wait. Is it Gilgal or Mizpah? I think it's Gilgal. I can't remember. Anyhow, he went to this place. And he says, wait seven days for me. So seven days go by, and guess what? Samuel doesn't come. Saul freaks out and takes things into his own hands. Now watch what happens. Verse 17, And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, Are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? And he goes on. And listen to what Samuel says in verse 22. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. The people demanded a king. God gave them a king. And that king, even this, the context that Saul came into his kingship was for the people. And then he was too afraid to obey God. And so he obeyed the voice of the people. Wow. 
so God rejects him. And then God decides, I'm going to anoint a king for myself. Look at chapter 16. Verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. So we have two kings. We have a king that the people demanded and he's rising and falling and rising and falling based on the people's demands, based on their applause or their accusation. And then we have a king that God chose for himself, a king that none of us would have chosen, wouldn't have even known he existed. In fact, Samuel goes to Jesse's house, and he's look, he knows that he's supposed to anoint a king of one of the sons of Jesse, and he's like, surely it's this one, surely it's this one, surely it's this one, and nope. Well, who is it? Well, it's the one out, out there. And he rebuked, the Lord rebuked Samuel and said, I'm looking at what? The heart. See, God trusted David. God found David to be trustworthy. When no one was looking. And I think my, my heart for us tonight, like I love the excitement and I love the I can't wait, like when we rush in and we're worshiping, but like I am, I am zealous and passionate to walk with the people who are obeying and walking with God when no one's looking. I want him to trust us. I want us to be a people and a bride that he finds beautiful. And that happens in the like, Places that no one knows. It happens in the middle of the night. And it happens in your car. And it happens in your conversations. And it happens in the way that you act at work. And the way, it, that's when it, like the rubber meets the road. And when you can walk in that and when you can choose that lifestyle, this, this rest comes on the inside. And then when you come into a corporate place of worship or prayer, there's just this sweetness that happens. So we have two kings. We have one who's just, he's either afraid of people, feeling puffed up by people, obeying people, and then we have another king that God found in the middle of nowhere, that God trusted. And then we see, but what happened in that, in that place, in the middle of nowhere, when no one was watching and no one could see, what happened between David and God got put on display when David went to kill Goliath. Javanna preached a couple of weeks ago. And when she gets up here and she's burning and she's sharing her heart and there's just this powerful revelation coming from her, like her words had substance on them. Amen? Well, that didn't come out of nowhere. 
That came out of the middle of nowhere when no one's watching. And then it gets put on display for Goliath to fall because God trusted David and then David could trust God in the place where no one could see. Look at, look at this. Look at this moment when David kills Goliath. God, he's so amazing. Chapter 17. You guys know the story, but I just love this verse. Verse 37, and David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He's going, I know this God. I'm not worried. I know all of you are afraid. But in the public arena, what I've seen happen in the private place, I'm confident. I'm confident that the God who did that for me when no one was watching is going to do it for me in front of all these people. And I'm going to give him the glory. Because I know it's him. It's only him. It's only him. Look what happened in chapter 18. I would encourage you to just go read the, read this narrative. And just see what the Holy Spirit will pull out for you. It's so powerful, but I'm just running through it quickly. Chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, verse 1. <clears throat> as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan, now Jonathan, if you don't know, is Saul's son. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. You see, when we walk in that, in that confident place with the Lord, when we cultivate that place, people follow. He's like, I saw something in David that I didn't see in my own father. My own father was like tormented by whether people were praising him or condemning him. But this man's different. He's, he's living from another place. And Jonathan followed him. Not his own father. It's like, I, I, want, I could follow that. One more, one more scripture about this narrative. First Samuel chapter 18, verse 15. And when Saul saw that he had great success, meaning David, he stood in fearful awe of him. Saul, Saul was terrified of David. Verse 16. But all Israel and Judah loved David. For he went out and came in before them. If, if we'll fix our eyes on Jesus, if we will be locked into our bridegroom and our king, all that insecurity, all that fear of man, all that people pleasing, all the living by their praise and dying by their accusation will fall off. And then the irony is that then they'll follow. 
That's the ironic part. The world will be captivated. I want to give you, um, I put together a top 10. Ready? You're welcome, David Letterman. Uh, this is the top 10 Captain Obvious points about obeying God. We live by what? We live by faith. Ready? Number one, it often does not make sense. Amen? Remember all your felt board Bible stories? Remember when Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son on an altar? Like it does not make sense. A year ago, my brother and sister-in-law left a very comfortable life. They were set up, but they left to follow God into an unknown place. And it didn't make sense from the world's eyes. Number two, it will rarely, if ever, come with an explanation. These are, again, Captain Obvious. But I think sometimes God speaks and we want, we say we're like waiting for confirmation. And really we mean, I want to guarantee that this is going to work out. Which you will not get because you live by He doesn't owe you an explanation. He's God. And as you get to know him, and as you obey him, you will find out not only is he God, but he is good. Number three. Um, it often invites persecution. Even by church people. <laughs> even by your family. Even by... Whomever. Like, that's not wisdom. Why are you doing that? What are you going to do about... Number four. It requires... Faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. I learned this phrase from my dad, and I don't know what, what Spanish-speaking country they say this, but, but remember I was tormented by a decision at one point in my, my early 20s, I think, and I said, I don't know, I just want to do what God says. And he said, well, we have this saying, and it's, it's fe y adelante, which means faith and move forward. Sometimes you just don't know, and you just move forward in faith knowing that he's good, knowing that he's not waiting for you to mess up. Number five, it requires courage. Most of the examples I have from my own life, at least in this season of my life of obedience, have to do with having uncomfortable conversations, like confrontations. 
doing awkward things. How many times has God asked you to do something awkward? In fact, I was recalling this story. I remember, I'm using you guys as an example a lot, but I remember when um, my brother was visiting and it was before he really knew the Holy Spirit or, and he thought we were crazy. But he was visiting one night with his, his buddies and they were visiting from out of town and, and some um, people were over and we started worshiping together, which was first, you know, kind of, can be kind of awkward, you know, just in your house, just worshiping. But I, I'll never forget Joel Figueroa, he stopped in the middle and he said, he came to me and he said, I feel like, I feel like we need to wash their feet. I'm like, well, that's awkward. <laughs> Like, he already thinks we're weird. And now we're going to have, like, a bunch of dudes washing a bunch of other dudes' feet. Like, that's weird. That's awkward. But it was one of the most powerful moments I've ever witnessed. God, yeah, okay, that required courage. Number six, it often requires sacrifice. Your reputation, your time, your money your plans, your dreams, your goals. Yeah, requires sacrifice. Number seven, it's often uncomfortable. I think I already covered that one. Number eight, it's usually best to obey quickly. (laughs) Captain Obvious. The longer you wait, the harder it is. And sometimes you can miss a beautiful opportunity. Number nine, it will not contradict the Bible. Yay. (laughs) Captain Obvious. But I'm serious. I have had people tell me some very strange things they believe God told them to do. And I don't mean strange in a biblical way. I mean strange in a, that's not, I don't know what God you're talking about. If you want to know that what you're hearing is God and right and good, get to know this. Get to know it every day, all the time. It's living and active. Number 10, it can be fun. (laughs) After this morning, um, Michael Kuliano told me, he goes, man, it was like you were spanking us with a smile. But it is fun. Following God is fun. It's what you were made for. There's this like, ha, asking me to do what? You want me to say this to that person? You want me to go here and move there with no guarantee of, yep. It could be so fun. I don't want to live normal and safe, do you? It's boring. You were created for it to listen, to have your whole life figured out. Jesus said that those who are of the spirit are like the wind. It's okay if you don't know. If If you're in college or graduating high school or going into college or finishing college, I just wanna say it's okay if you don't know anything. If everyone asks you, What are you going to do now? What is your major going to be? What are you going to do now? I don't know. I'm going to follow Jesus. 
it's okay, mom and dad. And I'm gonna get a job. <laughs> no, but for real. I, you know, speaking of, I mean, I read, I literally read, watch this, this is so funny. I was like, God, this is a really funny scripture outcome. No one ever puts this on a pillow. Um, let me find it for you. Isn't it funny? For I know the plans I have for you. Um, ready? If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. I don't know. So, you don't have to know, but you can get a job. So. I'm, I'm messing, I'm messing, I'm messing. Um, I know they're going to put up a sign to pick up your kids in a minute, but... Um, I want us to be beautiful for our bridegroom. And that... Can't do for you. But I want to awaken you to his love and to his nearness and to his voice and to the call to come up higher and to obey when no one's looking. It's not about your check marks, about that you you what all you didn't do but like what does it look like for you to be pleasing to him to be so tethered to his voice guys we could change the world if even half of us could just purpose in our heart to like I'm gonna wake up I'm going to do what Jesus did. I'm going to do what you're doing. I'm going to say what you're saying. Listen, you are his kids. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to hear his voice. And he wants to empower you to do what his voice is asking you to do. He's a good father. And when you fall down and you don't get it right or you make a fool of yourself, he's just like there laughing and helping you back up. It's okay. He's so good. Mm -hmm.